BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession. Beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411 and sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand. Always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. Today's episode and conversation is forever going to be one of the most special and moving experiences that I've had on RealPod. Alexa Nicholas is fierce. She is brave. She is inspiring. And she is truly using her experiences and her trauma to pave a better path for all of us, especially women and especially children. It was an honor to have this opportunity. And I'm so very grateful to Alexa for trusting me and trusting the RealPod community, which is all of you. Now, you may remember Alexa from her days on Zoe 101. She played Nicole. I feel like it was yesterday. I was watching her on my TV screen growing up. And Zoe 101 is really where Alexa rose to fame. However, Despite what the perception we had was watching Zoe 101, Alexa's experience was quite different. And today we're going to hear a detailed recap of what that was really like. I'm not going to dive into too much of that story because you're going to hear it from Alexa herself. But what I will say is Alexa has since gone on to be an incredible activist and founder of the survivor community Eat Predators. I urge each and every one of you to check that out on Instagram at Eat Predators. And also you can follow Alexa at Match the Source. 
Alexa and I had a lot we talked about today, so we're going to get right into this episode. I do want to offer a trigger warning that we will be discussing a variety of topics involving abuse, trauma, and abortion in case those are sensitive topics to any of you tuning in. Without further ado, please help me welcome the radiant Alexa Nicholas. We don't know each other, but I guess our Yaya and Papu. The ancestors know each other. They do. It's unbelievable. (laughs) I feel like Greek women like literally live to be Yayas. I cannot wait to be a Yaya. I'm only 50%, but I will for sure. (laughs) I'm only 50% too. We're the same. 50 is a lot. Like if we were at 25, we'd be stretching. 50, I'm Greek. I'm Greek. That's the period. Totally. It's like we're Greek. And my husband who's not Greek, I will make him be Papu. I mean, he doesn't have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, my husband too. But what's interesting, I think it was like Spanish or it was, I forgot what lineage, but it's it's Papu as well on my husband's side for Spanish Turkish. Oh, wow. So it worked out perfectly because his, unfortunately, his mom passed away of cancer. So... I mean, I'm like getting deep into this right now, but the first time I got pregnant with my husband, it was the day that his mom was passing. We didn't know we conceived a child, but we we woke up and, you know, we got a call that she was passing and she was battling with cancer for over 12 years and he had to run basically. And about like three weeks later, I ended up finding out I was pregnant. I had an abortion just because it was so it was such an intense time. And I didn't feel I didn't feel ready to get into that. I didn't want him to feel like he had to go into a father role while grieving his mom. Mm-hmm. And abortion's no joke. I mean, I understand like abortion is an important right, but also it is a traumatic experience going into it, which a lot of people don't really talk about. A thousand percent. They yeah. act like people love to go get yeah, abortions. Exactly. It's like, I'm just going to hop in and no. like get an abortion. It's like, no. I mean, it's literally like stuck between these two, a rock and a hard place of, okay, 100%. I have a kid when I'm not ready. Like, yep. what is that going to do to my mental health, the life of this child? Or I'm going to live with this trauma of, yep. of having to have this abortion. So yep. I completely agree with you. People act like it's you know, no big deal. people who are pro-life act like that's just a plan B pill. And it's yep. like, no. It's really traumatic because they're not supposed to show you like the screen. Like they do like the, you know, the ultrasound. Yeah. And they're not supposed to show you it, but I accidentally saw it. And, you know, you're like, okay, I'm saying goodbye to something that's a part of myself, you know? And it is a traumatic experience. Like his mom passed away. And then, you know, I had to let go of the, the child. You're grieving twice. Totally grieving twice. And then we kind of went apart. Like I was like, you need to go deal with what you're personally dealing with. And I'm going to deal with what I'm personally dealing with. And then in January, we got back together and we were kind of like, OK, I was like no longer on birth control. And it kind of happened. And once it happened, I was like, okay, we need to get plan B right away. So we went to the CVS on Santa Monica Boulevard 
and they had no plan B. Mm. And he came back into the car and he was like, there's no plan B. <laughs> and I was like, well, we can go to another CVS. And he goes, do you want to just see what happens? Do you want to see if you end up getting pregnant? And I was like, okay, yeah, I think I do. I think I'm done with taking plan B first off. And I think I'm done with abortion. And I, I'm willing to just roll the dice and see what happens. And then I got pregnant with Nova. Mm. And it was kind of like a rainbow. They call it like rainbow spirit. It was like a rainbow scenario where it was only a few months apart, basically. And it just felt meant to be. Yeah. That like right away on the second try, we had Nova. And so I got pregnant and it was like, okay, you know, we're going to be parents of a child together. And you and have, it felt right. Yeah, you have to feel ready. What was you it like to. then having Nova and feeling the love for her? Like, did that bring up feelings about the abortion? Yes. But at the same time, like, I'm not a very, I mean, living in Los Angeles and going through the spirituality, like, cult community for healing made me feel very apprehensive about spirituality in general, just because there's so many gurus, for example, that just really don't have the best intentions. And so I didn't really want to believe that. But when I got pregnant with Nova, it almost felt like it was just her the first time, too. Mm-hmm. It was just like meant to be. Yeah. It was like no matter what, she was going to happen. And then once I had her, I was like, oh, you're inevitable. (laughs) You're inevitable. Like it was going to happen with or without us, basically. Like you were just you were coming down to the earth and it it, it needed to happen. Now when I look at her, I'm like, oh, my God. And that's a weird part. Like parents don't talk about. But like once you have a kid, I was like already ovulating within three months. And you have a choice of like going on to birth control. Birth control is so bad for you. So you're like, what do you do? But after having Nova, I was like, you know, if it happens, I'm in the situation where like if it happens, it happens. And once I met Nova, I just I don't know if I could personally go through it again just because it was so traumatic. Mm -hmm. I was going through so much at the time. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, this. yeah I'm no, like all abortion. No, <laughs> Alexa, <laughs> this is real pod and we okay, live cool. for this okay. type of conversation. Seriously. I'm very real. No, that's great. That's why I'm so freaking stoked that you're here. <laughs> and I want to comment on that because it's like, I can tell that you don't know how to be anything but yourself. I don't. Which is amazing. Thank and it's you. very rare, you know, and you've been through a lot in your life. Too much. (laughs) I was thinking that, like, childhood, pre, like, right? I mean, you need a freaking break. I do. (laughs) And I haven't gotten one quite yet. And, like, I'm, like, moving in. I'm, like, moving into, like, all of the motions of everything while I'm healing. Like, for example, E-Predators, like, came out of a healing process Mm -hmm. for me. And, you know, I'm just kind of, like, going with the motions of it. But yeah, I I don't know how to be anyone else but myself, which is why I don't feel like I fit into the Hollywood industry because I just couldn't pretend to feel like I was on the side of everyone around me. Mm -hmm. And so that was like very difficult for me, like just growing up was just like, I don't agree with what everyone's saying. and, And do I have a voice basically? Did you feel that way as a kid? I did. I definitely did. Like growing up on Zoe 101 was just very traumatic because, you know, like with high school, I know that in middle school, elementary school, every kid can deal with bullying. 
and it's a very real thing. But when you have a contract and you're working for a network, it puts a lot more pressure on a kid than the average child. And so I just always felt that my voice wasn't heard. And I didn't know how to go about it because I didn't want to look like, you know, there in within the Hollywood structure, it's like you have to say everything the way that everyone wants to hear it. Mm. And that's a lot of pressure because most of the time you're feeling something and you just kind of want to say it from the heart. But if you say it from the heart, then you might be judged with either tone policing or, you know, why don't you get over it by now or whatever it is. So when I like came more forward about like owning my voice, it, it, it really took giving birth to my daughter, to be honest, to like actually feel comfortable with that. It's also just wild that children who are 12 or 13 have an expectation to act like adults. Yep. They're treated like adults. Yeah. When you're 12 or 13, you're like, you're learning life. I mean, you're learning life until you're freaking 30, 40. Like we're always- I'm still learning life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm learning life And still. It's, it's not only that you're being held to a standard no 12-year-old could possibly meet, but you mentioned these contracts, the power dynamic of walking down the street, mm -hmm. an adult has power over a child. That's just how we feel. And then you're on a set where- you have someone not only who you're thinking, okay, they're an adult, so they have the power, but they also decide if I get to keep doing this thing I really like to do, if I right. get to take that next step in my career. Like, was that something that you felt influenced the decisions you made and like oh, how you showed up on set? Definitely. I mean, I was like really scared of losing my job, which is a lot of pressure for a kid, especially since like if you're being bullied in school, then you're like, okay, I'm not going to get kicked out of, like maybe I'll get kicked out of that, that school possibly, but you're not going to get kicked out of education in general, which is like what every human being deserves is education. For me, being on Zoe 101, it was like, okay, if I say how I feel, then I might not be able to come back here, which is something that I love. Like I really loved when you're a kid actor, at least in the early 2000s, there weren't many lead roles for kids. It was more like you were the kid maybe of a parent or you were doing commercials. But Nickelodeon and Disney were networks that gave kids the, the prime role, like the leading role. And so when you landed that role, you felt just like for the first time I get to just like be in the show completely and not just a side character. So that was always hanging over my head where it wasn't actually, I should take that back because honestly, it wasn't really hanging over my head until executives and all the adults made me feel that way. Because mm. at first I felt comfortable telling them that I felt uncomfortable on set and that there was bullying happening. But then they reminded me that I was on a set and that it wasn't Nicole 101 and that it was Zoe 101. They said that to you. Oh, it's yeah. not Nicole 101. Yeah. Oh, multiple times like multiple times oh my gosh multiple times which is like very challenging as a child because you're not thinking I mean I wasn't thinking like that I wasn't thinking like oh I want it to be Nicole 101 or I wasn't even thinking like that I just thought oh I want us all to get along and you know how do I was hoping that the adults would have more insights into how to make sure that all the kids got along but the the adults were more interested in 
finances mm-hmm. and the the network, et cetera. And so they 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 weren't a trauma informed. They weren't informed in general on how to deal with children, which is like most of the Hollywood industry is like they just unfortunately don't know how to deal with children. And if anything, they end up exploiting them and abusing them. And then you see in the future, most child stars are trying to shed off of themselves like the trauma of the industry because Mm -hmm. you feel like you're part of the adult community but you end up realizing you're still a kid and that the adult community actually is exploiting you and and wants money off of you we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor better help Look, it can be very easy to get stuck in a rut and not really know how to dig or claw or climb our way out of a situation, whether it's emotionally, it's a relationship, and we just sometimes need help from an expert. The reason that I wanted to go to therapy in the first place was to help find solutions to the things I was dealing with that I realized, hey, I don't know if I have all the tools by myself, or hey, maybe I do have the tools within me, but I need help from someone else guiding me to those answers. I have seen so many benefits since going to therapy. Therapy was a huge and still is a huge part of my healing journey and my constant pursuit of having a better relationship with myself. And that includes with food and with the people that I love. And if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. I love me some BetterHelp. I'm so grateful they sponsor RealPod. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. You can even get matched with a therapist right after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists anytime. That's major because you want to vibe with this person. So if you're looking for solutions to those problems, therapy can get you there. BetterHelp is a great option. Visit betterhelp.com slash realpod today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, better, H-E-L-P.com slash realpod. This episode is sponsored by Vionic. Now, all my years of sports really did a number on my feet and I have incredibly flat feet. So I always need good arch support and I always need shoes that are comfortable because I feel it fast if they are not comfortable. That's why I love Vionic. Vionic delivers on great feeling feet so you can live your best life and have super cute, trendy shoes. I'm talking water repellent booties, walkable heels, active sneakers for your daily walks, all with their Viomotion technology, a patent podiatrist-developed footbed that's built into every pair. So wearing Vionics, you could say, is like an act of self-care. It just feels like a hug for your feet. There's really no other shoe brand that focuses on your wellness like Vionic. When I put on my first pair, I was so surprised at how good the shoes felt because you never know until you try. And speaking of that, Vionic has a 30-day risk-free trial, which means there's no reason for you not to buy them, wear them, love them, or return for a full refund within 30 days if you're not satisfied for any reason at all. So head to www.vionicshoes.com and use code REALPOD at checkout for free shipping. That's www.vionicshoes.com and use code REALPOD at checkout for free shipping on your new cute and comfy shoes. www.vionicshoes.com and use code REALPOD at checkout for free shipping. 
So when you said you felt uncomfortable, and I know you've mentioned you didn't feel safe on set, was that physically, emotionally, mentally? I felt physically, emotionally... Both. You're, you're like all of them. <laughs> I'm like, all of yeah, them. I'm like all of them. Because like even the last episode of the first season, you know, the character Dana, we had to like hide behind a rock in Malibu and then like emerge from the rock and like run towards everybody. And she ended up like pushing me into the rocks. On film? So we're behind the rock. So like, film wouldn't be able to see it. So we were like, her and I were stuck behind a rock basically. Uh-huh. A rock in a hard place. <laughs> but we we're like stuck behind the rock. And then she pushed me into the rock at like random. And I had to just like turn it back on. They called action and like you're running towards, you know, whatever. And so I cried to my mom afterwards, letting her know what happened. And she let the producers know. But unfortunately, they didn't care, basically. It's interesting. So it's, physical for sure. I, I see how this environment is conducive to bullying because yes. why would you want to go be the one to complain? You know, they're like, Alexa's crying again. Alexa's causing right. a problem. Let's cast someone else in her part. We can't deal with this. Correct. So it quiets you. Correct. I felt very quiet on set. And I felt, I mean, I always say this too when I, unfortunately, like now that so many child stars have come forward, like, Jeanette McCurdy Mm -hmm. and myself, you know, it's so interesting because I came forward about Dan Schneider and the Nickelodeon situation in 2018 and no one seemed to care. And then once like, you know, Jeanette McCurdy made her book and it was a published book, then, you know, press got super involved. But what I noticed in that process was, A, they're not trauma informed, unfortunately. And it's very like trauma porn. Like the whole way that we relate to someone's trauma is we want to hear like all of the very messy, intense aspects of someone's trauma. And we don't really respect what that ends up doing to the person where it's like, okay, the person feels that all that people care about is the trauma, Mm -hmm. not who they are, Mm -hmm. but the trauma that they end up representing basically. And I really noticed that after Jeanette, like after I did, basically I was doing E-Predators for a while and then the Nickelodeon thing happened by happenstance. I didn't think I was going to go to Nickelodeon, to be honest. <laughs> and Jamie Lynn's book came out and then it was yes. it was kind of like all of that. And it was then so you much. And you commented on it and then she like, and then the Zoe 101 like reboot video, which is a whole other thing. So it was kind of like all those things came to a head. It was a lot. Yeah, her book. It was so weird because when I was eight months pregnant, you know, obviously before that, I remember the reunion thing happening and just feeling like, wow, we're 30 years old now almost. And we still can't get past this childhood drama trauma, basically. And I thought that was so bizarre. And then moving forward, she ended up wanting to do this whole like music video and you know, I was going on my baby moon and she reached out to me and apologized for everything. Yeah. And so when you get an apology from someone, you're thinking, okay, this person acknowledges what they did. You know, like an apology should be full on acknowledgement of what you did. Even if you think maybe the other person did some things as well, an apology should be strictly about the acknowledgement of what you personally did and how you affected someone else. So when she gave me that apology via text, I thought, wow, this is, really incredible for the first time getting an apology from my bully and while I'm pregnant and that feels very healing 
And so I looked at my husband and I said, what should I do? And he was like, you should forgive her. And this is like a good opportunity to respond and say, okay, I I want to forgive you. Well, what was this apology like? Like, was it like, how did you, because you got to judge if an apology is sincere. Like, was it a quick text? Hey girl, I've been no. thinking of you. Sorry. <laughs> Hope the baby's cute. It was the baby is cute for sure. But then it was also like an invitation to the music video. So you're like, oh, okay. So it's an apology to get me on to the music video, which the music video was a fake kind of reboot of Zoe 101 that she was orchestrating. And so when I look back at it, I'm like, oh, it wasn't Nickelodeon involved. Like it wasn't really a network involved. It was her involved trying to make this reboot. So she was apologizing to me to get me into this reboot so that people felt like she was a cool person, basically. <laughs> like, Wait, which an apology followed by an yes. ask or a request? Correct. I mean, that to me, like the apology oh, then isn't an apology. No, it's not. Right? It should be, a, I apologize, period. Correct. And like, I'm so sorry for everything. But for me, I was like eight months pregnant. And I just said, hey, thank you so much for the apology. Like, I'm not able to do the reboot music video. I'm going on a baby moon <laughs> and I wish you all the luck. And then she like sent me multiple messages, wanted to send me a, a, a care package, basically. And I was like, OK. So I let her send the care package and it was a cute care package. And I was like, wow, maybe, you know, she is trying. And then a few months after that was the release of Britney Spears audio of what she was going through during the conservatorship. And as a survivor myself of abuse, when I heard her speaking, it doesn't matter if she was personally not the warmest to me. You know, I had a I had a fairly bad experience with her, but that doesn't deny or, you know, that doesn't put aside what she personally experienced. And when I heard her speaking about what she was going through and with her family, I like turned mentally to Jamie Lynn Spears and was like, what the fuck are you doing basically you know like you're trying to like clear your tracks in a way and what a weird time to be doing that you know and so basically jamie sent me a text message saying i want to send you something and this wasn't the baby package anymore it was about a couple weeks before her book release i was gonna say don't tell me she sent you her book oh yeah she was going to Oh, no, she was going to without telling me what was in the book. Alice, didn't she lie about you in the book? Yes, multiple times. But then she like, sent it as a gift. She wanted to. I told her no. So basically she said that. And then I said, hey, after what I'm hearing, like, I don't feel comfortable you sending me anything. And I just want like total space from you. And I kept it very like calm and chill, basically, as chill as I could make it. And I was like, I just don't feel comfortable with you. I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know her book was really coming out. And then eight days later, all of a sudden people are sending me her book leak and it's just all these lies about me. And you're like, so I just had a baby and you want to send me a book with lies about me after you apologized to me about your bullying. And now all of a sudden it's me being the bully and the bad guy in the book. And you're like, what is going on? Oh my like, god! It was really manipulative. It was just really, you know, and I looked at my husband and I was like, I got to just speak my mind. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to speak my mind and I'm done being silent. And so I, you know, I basically just wrote a quick, like, this is what happened. And, you know, these are again, 
once again lies about me from Jamie. And it was just really sad because I was like, wow, I thought we actually finally got to heal a childhood wound. And we weren't able to because of I don't know what's going on with her, but it wasn't able to fully heal. But what's funny is that Britney Spears did give me an apology. Oh, and she gave me the best apology ever. And that fully healed the wound for me. Was that personally or on the Internet? So she DM'd me on Instagram. First, she defended me publicly on her Instagram saying like you lied about Alexa Nicholas. And that was a huge moment for me because when she was yelling at me in that trailer, she was my pop idol. And then finally see my childhood pop idol defend me was just like a full circle healing experience. For people who don't know about the trailer moment, is that something you're willing to explain? Yeah, no, I basically what happened was Victoria Justice and Jamie Lynn Spears were kind of getting very close out of nowhere and started to replicate the same dynamic that Dana and Zoe had in the first season. And on the last episode of the second season, I was just so bad at that point. Like I just wasn't invited to anything and I was totally an outcast and I just got, you know, as a child that just like, you're just so sad at that point. Yeah, but, cameras say action and your yeah, besties. Correct. That's confusing. It is. For a 12-year-old. It's you traumatic. you process the dissociation of the two realities. No, you can't. No, it was really hard for me. And even looking back, I'm like, I don't even know how I did that. And you just do it because you don't even understand as a kid what's going on fully. So you're just trying to like, you're trying to not, I don't want to use the word impress, but you're just like kind of trying to appease those around you and not seem problematic, which is a huge child star problem is when you are constantly feeling that you need to be a certain way to keep your job. And as a kid, you can't really process that properly. So it was like, I don't even know how that happened. But basically, there was this guy named Ian, and he was a talent coordinator at Nickelodeon or on Zoe 101. And he was very, very close with the Spears family. And, you know, this is like totally normal. Usually, you know, the talent coordinator will knock on your trailer door and your parent will open it and say, hey, I'm taking her to makeup and hair or I'm taking her to set. And the parent has the option to say, I'll go with them to makeup and hair. I'll go with them to set. But for makeup and hair, most of the time, no parents in there because the trailer is so small. So they're like, okay, cool. Thank you for taking her. And so he was like, okay, I'm taking her to, to makeup and hair. And I remember stepping down the stairs and walking with him. And he was a different vibe that day. It was like kind of weird. And then he turned to me and said, oh, wait, before we go there, Brittany and Jamie want to talk to you in, in Jamie's trailer. And I remember looking at him and, and as a kid, I was like, oh my God, maybe Britney Spears is going to like step in and be the mediator that I've been wanting this whole time. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at him and I said, okay. So I, cause I thought like he wouldn't be putting me into harm's way. You know, he's a talent coordinator and you trust him. And there's already been a built trust where he's taking you to and from. And so you're aware. And so I said, okay. And he brought me over to the trailer And when I opened the trailer, I remember looking to my right to see if Ian was still there because I thought he was coming in with me and he just disappeared. He was just gone. And I remember looking up and there was no one in there. And I went up the stairs and I got up there and Jamie ran to the back of the room like really quickly. 
And my stomach kind of dropped because like, why is she running into the back of the room? And then Brittany locked the door. And I just stood there. And I remember just kind of like backing up slowly. And there were like, you know, a couch area with a chair behind me. And I, I remember sitting down and Brittany just kind of started yelling at me and telling me, you know, that I'm not going to work again, basically. And that, you know, she doesn't like what her sister is going through. And it was just like, it was a total blackout moment for me. I don't remember every bit and piece of it because I just remember seeing like the pop idol of my childhood, like yelling at me and telling me I wasn't going to have a career again. And are you thinking that Jamie must have told her Alexa bullies me? Correct. And so then Brittany thought. Brittany told me that. Yeah. So she she was telling Brittany that. Okay, so Brittany, was this in Brittany's recent apology she yes. said to you? I didn't know the, the, cr- the true story. Mm-hmm. And she was going through her own thing and was pregnant and eight months pregnant or something like that. And you have like hormones going on and you have your family. And then you have your whole past of being like a pop star in the early 2000s, which is so traumatic in my mm-hmm. experience. Like just thinking about it and also just being a child star, you're like, that is not an experience where you grow up feeling like supported and well, you know? So that's what Jamie basically did was told her something that was totally false. And I ended up facing the repercussions of that falsehood. And I remember just feeling like I was going to puke. And I went towards the door and I remember it was locked. And I was like, why is it? You know, I don't even remember her locking it. I just know it was locked because when I went to go like open the door, it was locked. And then I unlocked it. And I ran out and I started puking. I puked all the way on my on my way to my trailer. And my mom at this point, you have to remember that she thinks I'm going to makeup and hair. So she's thinking, okay, she's going to makeup and hair. She's safe. She's with Ian, you know? And then I come in bawling, crying, not being able to speak. And I ran to the bathroom and I'm in fetal position and I'm puking. And my mom's just hysterical because you don't even know. And that's why I said in the Slime Time Live, like, for example, if you have predators on set, for example, and you don't have people acting accordingly, then a kid can get into a situation where they're not in a safe place. And thank God it was just Britney Spears. <laughs> like, thank God. Like, when I look back and I'm like, thank God it was Britney Spears and not a predator. Okay. Okay. Please trust me on this one. I am actually obsessed with this sponsor of the podcast. At first, I really liked them, but it has grown to an obsession. I'm talking about Element, spelt L-M-N-T. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots and lots and lots of salt, but no coloring, artificial ingredients, gluten fillers, None of the BS, right? This drink is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs, and it can even help prevent and eliminate headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleepiness, and other common symptoms of electrolyte deficiency. I literally am obsessed. Not only does it help with headaches, it helps me with my energy. When I wake up on a weekend, really tired, don't feel energized, maybe don't have the best nutrients in my body, I drink Element, specifically the orange flavor. I love the orange flavor. And I literally feel like a new person. I just had all my friends visiting for the weekend and I made each and every one of them drink it, especially after our night out. 
And wow, this drink, Element, they know how to replenish and rejuvenate your system. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash realpod. And the deal is only available through my link. So you must go to drinkelement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash realpod. You can try it totally risk-free. They'll give you your money back if you're not satisfied for any reason. That's drinkelement.com slash realpod. Even though they have these systems in place and we have this protocol, like it is easy to get a kid alone and bring them anywhere that Correct. You, we want. You want. Yeah. Is there a dynamic too of your mom being like, oh, I know Ian. I want to trust this. I don't want to be that crazy mom that's following Alexa everywhere. Like there has to be a social dynamic of. I she gotta- never liked Ian, to be honest with you. Like she never <laughs> Mama's liked Mama's intuition, totally. baby. She never liked Ian. But like it was so common that he would take me to the trailer. So it wasn't out of her. Like if he wanted to talk to me alone, she would have been like, I don't want him talking to her alone. Mm-hmm. But because you said he was taking me to makeup and hair, she was like, oh, okay, it's like a So thing. now when you come back, is she ballistic? Is she calling Dan? Like, was So she, yeah, a- she, I just remember her mama call busting open the trailer door and being like, anyone like come to this trailer. Like I remember her like screaming, like someone come, someone come, someone come. And she kept saying, what, tell me what's wrong. And I couldn't, I just couldn't. It was like two years of, bullying that when it got to Britney Spears I just felt like a total loser at that point I was like everyone hates me here and I I am really the problem like you start to like doubt your own sanity basically mm-hmm. and so I wasn't able to tell my mom because I was so embarrassed that it was Britney telling me that and so all I remember is Dan Schneider <laughs> I can laugh now but like no one came and 15 minutes later, Dan Schneider starts coming up the stairs with like three other New York Nickelodeon executives per usual. And he comes in and he just looks at me and he's like, what now? Like you are the problem. Totally. And I just blurted out. Finally, I was able to say like, Brittany told me I was not going to be able to have a job anymore. And I remember him looking at me in just this like sweating like you was just always sweating. But like you just remember him sweating and like looking down at me and just going, uh-huh. And then he stepped out and we were like, okay. So I guess he's just like walking out. And then about five minutes later, he comes back in with a with a box. And it's like a DVD player, like those DVD players that you like flip open that have like a screen back in the day. And he's like, Does this make you feel better? And I remember looking at the DVD player and just going, what? <laughs> and like, wait, he, like he gave, he wanted to just give you a gift and thought it'd be fine. And that was already the wrap gift for everybody that season. But he wanted to, he was like, I don't know how to deal with this. And so I'm giving her an early wrap gift. And I remember just like looking down at it and looking up at him and, you know, being confused. And then, and then you're like, I can't sound ungrateful. I just got a correct. Gift. So it was his like, Abuse more like a psychological, totally. emotional thing. Oh, yeah. He was like very manipulative and yeah, just very manipulative and definitely an abuser. Like from what I've learned about being in abusive dynamics, like he was definitely one of those individuals. 
where he couldn't empathize with other people's feelings. He had a hard time doing that. And it, and it's scary when it's children involved. Like I actually, I, I actually kind of hate that whole thing. Cause like with reporters calling me lately, they're always saying, you know, it's children. It's like, no one should be treated that way. Honestly, like no one should be abused period. I understand that it's so emphasized with the children, but adults also in a work environment, especially no one should be getting abused. No one should be feeling like, they can't be themselves in their work environment because we don't want to be dealing with work and also feeling like we don't want to go there at the same time. Yeah. Like that's a horrible feeling. And when Dan came as the one who responds to your mom's call, like how do you even feel when he when you see him? Because he's not someone you feel safe around. So yeah. like what was that dynamic? When he came into the trailer? Yeah, when you're yeah. like, oh, this oh. is the savior of the situation? Oh, I was like scared. I remember just like being frozen, but I thought that finally now that it was Brittany saying something that that was going to like validate that this is a problem, you know? But that wasn't what happened. And then he goes, you have to go back on set. And I remember my mom going, what? Like, she can't go back on set. This is the last time for us as a family, basically, that she's treated like this. Like, she can't go back on set. And he goes, but she has to. It's her last scene. And I remember looking at my mom and I mean, we're in a contract. And so back then there were there was no very little awareness about your rights. Like You're not thinking about abusers in your work environment in the early 2000s. That just wasn't you thought of bosses as assholes, but not as abusers. And that's like mm -hmm. the huge problem. And then you're thinking creeps or guys in ice cream trucks. And everything was so fucked up, to be honest, in like the early 2000s because abusers were really doing the whole narrative thing. And it's like, oh, it's the creepy guy in the van and your boss is just an asshole. And it's like, no, we're talking about privilege. We're talking about white privilege specifically. We're talking about abusers. And we're talking about pedophiles in work environments also, which is something during that era wasn't on anyone's radar. I mean, some of these scenes that I watch back now. Can you believe? No, there was. I mean, <laughs> sorry, if, I don't mean to laugh. No, but, but if like, we're getting real, like there was literally a cum shot on Zoe 101. Yep. I said it. Which. Yeah. If you like, I watched I watched that video recently and I was so disturbed. Who approves that? How do we Dan. see that on? And Nickelodeon. So do you, when you hear these theories of like, whether it's like that Ariana Grande video where she's on the bed, like putting her foot in her mouth, you know, but the, but it seems playful. Like, do you think that that was intentionally done by like creepy execs? Listen, like what I say to most people, I'm a mom. So I don't give a fuck what you have to say about what your intentions were when you were making that thing. It's your responsibility to know how that's going to be perceived by someone who's irresponsible, and not a good person and is a creep. And so when we're dealing with children, we have to think about their well-being. It's not about what our intentions are. It's about what the world will do with them. Yeah. You know, like that's how I think about with Nova all the time. It's like I have the best intentions for her, but I can't trust that everybody else has the best intentions for her. And so for Dan, it's like, I don't care what the fuck you're. First of all, I don't believe you. <laughs> But I don't I don't care what your intentions were because it's your responsibility as an adult to make sure no one ever perceives a child like that or puts them in a vulnerable position where someone can sexually exploit them. Yeah, which any person with common sense yeah, exactly. would watch that scene and, think, and go, no, this there's and there's no point. It doesn't nope. help the plot. No, nope. no, they were just they were webcams. They were video cam episodes on YouTube that he put up. 
and you're like you're putting kid cams up and then you're also putting them in situations where they're putting their their toes in their mouth did you have any off-screen interactions with dan that you thought were uncomfortable two things like well one thing for sure is that whenever i had wardrobe fittings he always had to be in them and yeah so there, thank God there was a curtain, but he was literally on a chair right outside of the curtain. And I had to wear very short skirts. And something that the interviews that I've done haven't mentioned yet is that I had to wear biker shorts underneath my skirts and they had to cut the biker shorts because the biker shorts were even too long for the skirts that I had to wear. On These were your character's skirts? Yes. Okay. And so they had to cut the biker shorts. And you know when you cut anything that's like not seamed, it rolls up all the time. And so I was constantly having to like roll down these biker shorts that were underneath. But fast forward, when I was doing TV shows like Mad Men or Walking Dead and or Cold Case, you know, whatever the show was, I started to realize going like, oh, so the creator isn't in the room for the wardrobe fittings. And I remember them being like, yeah, no, like we just send him a photo or like her a photo and they approve like with the producers. And I remember just going, wow, that's so weird because I remember Dan Schneider like in every single wardrobe fitting for me. Oh my God. To the point where he would sit in the chair and I would come out and I would do a spin and then he would look at the wardrobe artist and say, can I have the Polaroids? I just got like a full body chill. (laughs) It's bad. And you're, you're, you know, like the thing with Dan Schneider is I don't know what's up with him, but all I do know is that he put children in vulnerable positions that he like legit wrote himself and didn't really seem to have the care to go, hey, like maybe this looks this way or maybe this could look that way. And I want to make sure that, you know, they're not being seen that way. And when I was an adult, I got a link from some random fan where it was, you know, a bunch of Dan Schneider's TV shows on child porn websites. Oh, yeah. And so when you think about it, you go, why is that on child porn websites? And okay, you know, it could be negligence, but that is still a problem. If you are working with children, you can't be negligent about those things. You know, you have to be super hyper aware and conscious of the way that you're portraying children. And Dan Schneider never really seemed to care about how he was portraying children. He definitely didn't care about the, you know, off camera roles either on how he treated like someone like myself. And then in front of camera, it seems very, you know, exploitative. Like it just seems either he likes to say it's like childish that he was being you know humorous in a childlike way but I don't believe that fully I think that was just an excuse for him I, I I'll never know because like we can't be inside of Dan Schneider's brain but as a mom when I looked at you know the footage you can't unsee it mm-hmm. and even if you didn't know what was going on you know what it looks like and so as an adult you should go this looks too much like this you know yeah. So we're not going to put a kid in that in that position. And with the the goo pop scene, 
you know, I saw, you know, he wrote that he was on set. He had a prop person with a syringe, you know, doing it over and over again to make sure it was exactly how Dan wanted it. And is he being weird in those moments? Like he's enjoying these rehearsals of this goop pop shot? It wasn't rehearsal. He was actually filming them, making sure it got to the point where it was exactly how he wanted it. So it was all shot. It wasn't rehearsal because it's too messy to do rehearsals. Like you have to just like shoot it and see like how it goes. But I remember just kind of sitting there going, you know, he thought it was funny. That's all I remember, that it was funny to him. And as a parent now, I'm like, if you found that funny, you know, with my kid, I have a problem with you. <laughs> like I, have a, yeah. I have a problem with you. And, you know, he tried to get me to um, sign something, you know, in 2019. Recently. Yeah. In his 20- legal, was it his legal team or him yeah, who reached out? His lawyer. So basically, when I was living in Palm Springs and my boyfriend at the time, who is an asshole himself, but he was texting me going, there's some lawyer calling for you. How the fuck does he get his phone number and not mine? You know, I'm like, what lawyer? Who? And he goes like, oh, it's this guy named Robert. He's looking for you. And it's all on text message. That's why it was in the Business Insider article because I have proof of the whole conversation. And I, I was like, who? So I like was having a glass of wine in Palm Springs and I called this person up, not expecting it to be Dan Schneider's lawyer. And then I call and it's like, I'm like, hi, it's Alexa. Is this Robert? And he goes, oh, yes, I am the lawyer for Schneider's Bakery. And I remember just hearing Schneider's Bakery and just going like, mm-hmm. eh, like just childhood trauma. And I was like, yeah, what do you want? And he goes, well, we've heard you've been speaking out about Dan Schneider. And what exactly do you know about him? And I was like, first of all, it's none of your business. And second of all, like, I don't need to talk to you. And he goes, well, what did he do to you? And I said, well, he did some things to me that were abusive. But again, that's my prerogative to speak out on it. And then he goes, Dan and I would like to have you come into a room and come up with some type of agreement. As if you're going to go into a room with him again, willingly with Dan Schneider. He last time I was in a room with him alone, he traumatized me and made me cry and was just extremely abusive. And so I was like, no, first of all, no way am I going into a room with Dan Schneider alone ever again. Second of all, you really shouldn't be his lawyer, you know, like you really shouldn't be his lawyer, because if you have someone who's going around trying to silence Adults who were once children who worked for him. That says a lot about him and less about us. And I remember him going like, well, the door is always open for you to, um, you know, come in and and have a conversation. I said, I'm good. Do you feel like they were going to like try to offer you money NDA. to silence you? NDA. And that's like what all e I mean, I haven't really even gotten into e I know. I want to talk about it. Yeah. So for me, like I'm a survivor. But what I started to realize was that not only was I a survivor of specific abusers, I was also a survivor of industries that were enabling this type of abuse. And so I became a survivor of the film industry, TV, entertainment industry, and also, unfortunately, the music industry. And during my lawsuit, I really, really started to see that predators are going to come and go. Unfortunately, we live in a world where there are predators everywhere. Scary. It's kind of scary, but it's true. 
but they don't have as much of an access to future victims or victims in general if they don't have enablers, full enablers, giving them a platform and power to perpetuate the abuse. I was sorry to cut you off. I was thinking about that when yeah. I'm like, okay, who's the wardrobe person that hands him the Polaroid? Correct. Who's the person that exactly. stages the camera for the goo pop shot? I mean, how many people were there saying, okay, I'll go along? You know, right. And so, yeah, I'm glad you're bringing up this point of it's everyone. It's it's an entire system. It is. It's an entire system. And some are aware of it. And then some people are just trying to keep their jobs and in a very different state of mind that they're not really thinking properly. But when I came forward about my abuser, I was so fixated on my abuser, (laughs) which was Michael Milos of Rye. And I was so focused on that. And when I started going through the lawsuit, I unfortunately started to realize how much the industry around him was enabling, you know, his abuse towards me. And that was a horrible realization because it's one thing to go, okay, this is like, this is the abuser. But when you realize there's a whole system and a bunch of individuals who are not only enabling it, but covering it up. And the covering up part was what really got me sick to my stomach. And a perfect example of the cover up is something like an NDA, which Dan Schneider or Nickelodeon tried to get Jeanette McCurdy to sign. And most likely that was the agreement that his lawyers were calling me about. And the things with NDAs, they're not supposed to be about a legal activity. But most of the time, you know, sometimes in uh, corporate structures, they actually are about a legal activity. And it makes it that. Even if you're like an employee and you witness someone being sexually harassed, you can't say anything about it. So it creates a silencing silencing aspect. But then when I came forward about the music industry being, you know, enablers of abuse, I started getting all these different contacts from survivors of the music industry who let me know that even in their NDAs, they couldn't even talk to their therapist about it. So we're talking about companies that are not even just silencing them in general. They're also silencing their healing journey. Wow. That's terrible. Yeah, it's just it's automatic. <laughs> like, this is bad. You and you if you're traumatized, you can't seek help. Correct. About it. Wow. And how common is, is, is this type Very of contract? Common. Very common. So I, you know, with e-predators, When I started to realize these companies are using NDAs to, you know, basically punish the survivor and protect the abuser, I was like, okay, you know, what are what exactly are we going to do about that? And for me, it was like, okay, social media only goes so far. You know, social media only goes so far because people keep scrolling and they forget about things in like a 24 hour time span. And so I, you know, thought, how about survivors start showing up physically to these work environments and letting them know that survivors are united and we want change and we're actually a huge number because like what one out of three women for example are sexually abused in their lifetime that's a huge number and so you know not only are survivors showing up but survivors are your customers survivors are people that are giving these institutions tons of money and they pretend that we don't exist or that we aren't actually helping them build an empire, you know? And so physically showing up was one way, but then how do you merge that with social media? And so I started to like merge the two where I was like, okay, we can do 
protests, but then at the same time, these protest signs don't have to be just one-liners. They can be informative platforms. Yeah, I've you seen know? your videos where you take <laughs> through. No, I love it because it's educational and it's also like, no, I'm going to freaking lay it out for <laughs> you. Literally, like, which I love. These are all the reasons you're wrong. And I totally. and, and these are your responses. And guess what? I have more responses for those. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. I'm like, okay. And these are all your own words. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, hit them with their own rule book. They like to take this, you know, whole zero tolerance policy. They don't get what zero is. For some reason, they don't understand math. And it's like zero means zero. So anytime there's any type of allegation of sexual abuse, that's no longer zero. So you have to get rid of that individual or there has to be some type of consequence and for some reason with the millennial culture we've gotten into this loop of cancel culture which i understand like i understand what cancel culture means but unfortunately we have to really look at it like this do we want to financially reward anyone that abuses a human being do we want to financially reward that no most of the time the justice system and the criminal system does not have any consequences for these individuals. And so unfortunately, the public opinion does matter and it's up to us to create what type of consequences are appropriate for these types of abusers. Most importantly, the survivor should have a say, but no one ever asks the survivor what they would like to see for justice or what would help them on their healing journey. No one ever asks it and it's sad. I'm, I'm glad you brought up healing journey because you know, just ending with like, what has been the most helpful thing for your healing journey? You didn't get an apology from Dan. You didn't get an apology from Nickelodeon. No one. You did get the apology from Brittany, yeah, which, which you said was healing. But, was. We, but you can't control other people. And yeah. if they're going to come back into your life and take accountability for the horrible things that they've done. So what has speaking out been a big mechanism of your healing? What are some of those things that in your life have allowed you to stand on your two feet and proudly say you're a survivor and then lead so many other survivors to their healing? I would say for me, finding the survivor community has been super healing just because you finally feel understood being amongst like others that understand. And then on top of that, getting active was probably the most I mean me and that megaphone (laughs) (laughs) that megaphone is like my therapy to be honest totally (laughs) like it is amazing like being able to say you know protect survivors not predators and then to hear a group of people say it back to you there it's like therapy it's like a reaffirm it's like a validation of what you need to hear and so as a survivor like I'm saying things that survivors need to hear and like myself and so finally hearing those words echoed back to me has been such a huge part of my healing journey but then I would also say like finally setting boundaries on the world and creating what type of progress you personally need after learning how you've existed in the past in the world like realizing like hey This is what I've experienced in my lifetime. And this is how I want it to be taken care of from this point on, like for my daughter's sake. I would say most of the time what I'm doing out there in the protest is for my daughter. And knowing that Nova is going to be able to see that I fought really hard for her to have a safe environment in whatever environment she wants to 
go into, that is the biggest healing and reward for me because I just want her to know that I understand and I learned and I want to make sure that I am, you know, basically giving back to my community in a way that's going to make everyone else safer from what I've personally learned. And so whenever I look at Nova and she's at, she comes to protest sometimes mm-hmm. and, you know, Nova like wearing a sign and helping make signs and she draws on the signs and just that whole fam- this community aspect and having Nova witness people caring about her future. Mm-hmm. Like we care about your future and we want to make it safer. And that to me, I would say is the gold star on the, on the healing journey is just like Aww. that. You're just amazing. Okay. I, I told you this when we were texting, but I want to come to a rally. I want everyone yes, listening. Please. Let's like gather the, I want to gather all the freaking troops of Real Pod. We're going to come. <laughs> so where can we follow Eat Predator, see the rally schedule, yes. support you? Okay. So so at Eat Predators on Instagram, you can see like every upcoming protest. Obviously at Match the Source. Also, you'll see a bunch of that. We also have ePredators.com, which has like the whole calendar schedule. What people don't understand is someone else's abuse triggers us. And so we we want companies and communities to understand that even if it doesn't have to do with our specific abuser and our specific abuse, anyone's sexual assault triggers our sexual assault. And we deserve to be... Um, respected and heard the silencing is like society's go-to with survivors we're gonna silence we're gonna quiet we're gonna block like no one wants to hear what you have to say correct it's so dehumanizing it's dehumanizing and it takes your power away okay i'm glad we have the information alexa thank you so much you You are just such an awesome human you radiate (laughs) like this real honest truth and you get deep and you're honest but you're bubbly and you're kind and you care about others and i so appreciate you trusting me trusting this community and wanting to come speak it was an honor and a privilege to speak with you thank you it was such an honor to be on here i'm so happy to be here thank you so much for having me thank you seriously thank you i hope i come back yeah you can come back anytime you want girl Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week seeing behind-the-scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.